Welcome to weekly messages from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. Find out more at gracewaydc.com. We hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And now to kick off the Christmas season, this week's message is all about three reasons to celebrate the birth of Christ. First, because Jesus was the promised one that existed long before Bethlehem. Second, he came at the perfect time, fulfilling hundreds of years of prophecy. And third, he would provide salvation for the whole world. Start off your Christmas season right with Pastor Brad Wells and this message about Jesus, the reason for the season. Merry Christmas and welcome to this very sacred season when we celebrate the incarnation of our of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful time. I, I know a lot of our people are still uh, coming back from Thanksgiving, and uh, there's no better way to start the sacred season of Christmas than to celebrate Thanksgiving. Now, as uh, Brother Tykert wrote the other day, uh, there is a uh, uh, there is a problem uh, with the whole Black Friday thing. Now, I'm, I'm not criticizing anybody who went out shopping uh, immediately after expressing such a sacred thanksgiving to the Lord. But uh, there is always a group of people that are trying to uh, use sensational and uh, sensual methods uh, to uh, kind of line their pockets. And there's a, a commercial extravaganza going on out there in the world. But don't let that sour the season for you. It is very sacred. It is holy. It is wonderful. It is about the incarnation of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and there's two extremes to that. Uh, one would be the uh, transcendent uh, group. That would be somebody like uh, Islam or something like that. Uh, that would say that incarnation is impossible. It, it, God is too aloof. God is too far away. And so it could never, they would never receive that. And then um, the opposite group would be the eminent group, and that would be something like uh, Hinduism or something like that. And they believe that incarnation is not really all that special because God has manifested himself everywhere. Matter of fact, God is everywhere. As a matter of fact, they would say that I'm God and and we will become God. We are becoming God. And the truth is right in the middle of those two extremes that the incarnation is beautifully uh, simple and true. It is the embodiment of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And remember, the angels appeared before the shepherds and said that this was good news of great joy to all people. That's an amazing thing. How could something be good news that creates great joy for everyone? Um, people experience good news all the time. And we, we have a, a desire to believe good news. When, when something is, is good, you, you, you might even express, boy, I hope that's true. Oh, I, I hope that's true. If some good news came about uh, the conflict in other nations or the inner conflict in politics, we would hear it and we'd be like, that doesn't sound true, but I sure hope it's true. 
We want to believe good news. And then the second element, it creates great joy. And Christmas creates great joy. And I'm not talking about Santa Claus and Rudolph and presents and lights, although we will talk a little bit about all those elements uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. But really, it, it brings out the element of, of how God loves people. God loves people, not just a group of people, not just this type of people, but God loves people. Today, we're going to look at why Jesus is the reason for the season. And maybe you've seen that bumper sticker around and that uh, common slogan, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I, and I want you to realize that it is true. It's not just a neat little slogan. It's not just something that the church has gotten excited about. It is, it is absolutely true. And I'm going to present to you uh, three little points, and there's a little spot there on the back of your outline to kind of uh, help you along there. We're going to talk about the pre-existence of Christ, the prophetic uh, element of uh, the coming Christ, and really the purpose of Christ. And all of this will uh, flow from uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. And you might think, what a Christmas message from the book of Galatians. But actually, this is a beautiful Christmas message from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. So get in position. Let's get ready to read Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, if you can. And it says this, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law, to redeem that, them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I'd like to read it one more time, and we'll get started. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Father, we come before you asking for your blessing, asking for your illumination. Lord, I pray that we would not be uh, duped or deceived or uh, sidetracked or uh, give ourselves to something that is irrelevant or untrue. But Lord, I pray that your word would direct us and lead us, and Father, that we could know the truth and we could be set free from it, and we could really truly see Jesus as the reason for the season. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, just write down our first point here. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season because, because, quite simply, he is was the promised one. And this really is defining the doctrine of the preexistence of Christ. That is, uh, Jesus did not have his beginning at Bethlehem. Jesus did not have his beginning at Beth Bethlehem. He was sent of God. He wasn't created by God right then. He wasn't created by uh, Mary and Joseph, as some would um, uh, suggest, or any of these other things. Um, he was sent of God, who is called the Everlasting Father. And in order to be the Everlasting Father, you have to have an Everlasting Son. 
Uh, Jesus did not become God because he was born of a virgin. Uh, His virgin birth just proves and shows that he was God. Now, I've actually read an account of one of uh, my mentors, um, although I never met him, but I just claim him as my mentor, uh, Adrian Rogers, when uh, he was able to witness to Muhammad Ali uh, before one of his fights. Muhammad Ali would often bring in a, uh, a spiritual leader, a pastor and, and different sects and divisions of religion, and, and they would talk for hours and hours about spiritual things. And this one occasion, he brought in Adrian Rogers, who was down in uh, pastoring a large Baptist church in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and he said, tell me about Jesus and tell me about all these things. And 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 they came to the virgin birth, and Muhammad Ali said, "Well, couldn't Adam be uh, uh, the the Messiah? Couldn't Adam and Eve because they didn't have um, a, a father? They were the direct creation of God." And and Adrian Rogers explained to him that, and he would always call him Champ. He said, "Champ." Uh, Jesus did not become God because he was born of a virgin. He was God. He preexisted before uh, Mary, and he just came through the womb of this, this woman, this very good and godly young woman. Let me give you a couple scriptures. I want you to write down these three scriptures, John 8, 57 through 58. And I want to show it to you here on the screen after you've written that down. And it says this, Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not 50 years old. That is, uh, the Jews and Jesus are contending there in the temple. You're not even 50 years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Uh, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you. And anytime Jesus says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, listen up. He's about ready to say something that's worth listening, listening to. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, when Jesus said that, this was, this was war. This was uh, an absolute declaration of his deity. Now, many different cults have tried to change uh, the wording here and, and say something else before Abraham was, uh, and they'll, they'll come with several different alternatives. But that is without a critical support. There is no evidence for that. All the evidence points that this is exactly translated correctly. As a matter of fact, one of the great evidence uh, that this was translated correctly is what happens immediately after. Immediately after this, the Jews grab him and they try to throw him off the hill. And then that's the point where Jesus walks through the midst of them and walks away. Well, had Jesus just said some nice thing that I'm older than I look or (laughs) uh, I'm smarter than you might guess, Uh, they wouldn't have tried to kill him. But they tried to kill him because he just declared himself as God. He is the great. He is the eternal. He is the everlasting God. Let me give you another scripture, John 17 and verse number five. Now we're talking about the doctrine of the preexistence of God and how Jesus is the reason of the season because he is the promised one. John 17 and verse number five says, and now, Father, glorify thou me 
with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And of course, this is Jesus praying to God. And this would be very blasphemous if it wasn't true. And some people would say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher, or Jesus was just a good man, or um, Jesus was just this prophet. A prophet cannot claim this. A good teacher cannot claim this. If Jesus is not what he claims to be, he's either um, lying or he's crazy. And and Jesus is exactly what he claims to be. Uh, Jump over to verse number 24. He continues, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me, and let's say it together, before the foundation of the world. Make no mistake, Jesus verbalized, declared in Scripture, um, uh, validates that Jesus preexisted before Bethlehem. Hebrews chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3 records this interaction that Abraham had with this very strange character called Melchizedek. Now, I say that with all reverence and respect because I believe this is actually what is called a theophany, that is, an appearance of Jesus Christ before Bethlehem, before Mary. Uh, The first three verses of Hebrews 7 say this, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, by the way, there's in that place that we now call Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. Remember, Lot uh, had this struggle, and Abraham went with uh, his his servants and and rescued Lot, and and it was returning back. Look at verse two, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace. So that is uh, the king here, Melchizedek, is righteous and peace. And in that order, very specifically, look at verse number three. Without father, without mother, without descendant, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus have a mother? Well, sure he did, Mary. But this is before Bethlehem. This is before Jerusalem. This is before the star, Mary and Joseph. And truly he was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually." And all the different pastors and all the different theologians begin to race their theological motors trying to figure out who is this Melchizedek. And quite honestly, it's it's shrouded in mystery and it's wow, it's it's quite an amazing thing. But um, here it I believe it is what is called a theophany, a presentation of Jesus Christ before uh, Bethlehem. Now, let me give you the second point, not only because he was the promised one that is preexistent, but because it was the perfect time. That's why Jesus is the reason for the season. It was the perfect time. It was prophesied. Now, notice our, our key text here in Galatians, but when the fullness of time was come, 
God sent forth his son. Now, over and over in the Bible, that phrase comes up again and again. It speaks of the fullness of time. Uh, the children of Israel uh, could not claim Canaan as their as their land, but had to go and even be enslaved in Egypt because the uh, the fullness of the the sins of the Canaanites had not come to pass. And God is waiting for the fullness of things to be done. God is a completer. God is not a quitter. And if God's working on you and you're not perfect. Just hold on. God's not done with you yet. God's not finished with me yet. As a matter of fact, lean over to your neighbor and say, God's not finished with me yet, okay? God's not finished with me yet. He's not. He's not. Now, the very the very first uh, prophecy that is given in the Bible is actually uh, God spoke this to Adam and Eve right there in the garden when they fell and uh, relinquished the authority that God had given them in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. And it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And that's a strange thing. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, um, God is not confused about the genders here, and he's not uh, confused about the process of conception. But here very specifically mentions that this, this Messiah, this Redeemer, would be a mother's child. And it would, this Messiah, that is a mother's child, would redeem the world, the seed of a woman is going to crush the serpent's head, speaking of the tempter, speaking of Satan. That is, this is a prophecy that the Messiah would be born without an earthly father. And Jesus was born on time. He came in the fullness of time, and he was not a moment early and not a moment late. But that prophecy had been thousands of years old, and God brought Jesus and sent Jesus right on time. By the way, you're probably praying and wrestling and wrestling with something in your life. I know I am. And we think, God's late. Where's God? Uh, because I really asked for him by last week, Tuesday. And listen, God is not late, and God is developing us. And if it is a right thing that you've asked for, and it's according to the will of God, God will bring it to pass right on time, and he won't be late, and it will be good. And friend, if it's not good yet, then God's not done, because everything God does is good. So keep trusting and keep waiting on him. By the way, the Bible declares that he is coming again. That is, Jesus is coming again, and it will be after the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles. That is, God is was working with the Jews, and now God is working with the Gentile nations. And that's why Jonathan reads these mission reports, and, and we're sending uh, money and manpower out to places where we don't live because we are concerned with what God's concerned about, and God's concerned about people. Remember Jesus on the cross? He's on the cross, and he said, this your hour, speaking of those that were crucifying him, as they were mocking and jeering him and saying, if you are the son of God, come down off that cross. And he's saying, this is your hour, but my hour is not yet come. 
And so it was a little bit shrouded that the, the prophecy of the Messiah would come first to suffer and then second as the sovereign. And that in between would be that fullness of the Gentiles. Now these 2,000 years or so. And God is giving this chance for the world to repent and come and receive the Messiah. One of my favorite verses about this is 1 Timothy 6. And Apostle Paul writes this, and verses 14 and 15, it says, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, he had already appeared once, and he was coming again. He's coming again, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My friends, Jesus is coming again, and he's coming in his time, and he will be right on time, and we will all know it. Now, there's been a lot of different occasions where I'm not sure what time it is or what time something is going to be starting. One of these occasions, uh, we were just at uh, General Tykert's retirement service, and it was awesome. Now, I was going to be starting with an invocation. I was going to be starting with prayer. And I didn't quite know exactly how all of this is going to happen. It was my second retirement service, so I wasn't all that confident, which is good. That really helps me uh, keep off my uh, humble uh, little box there. So uh, I, um, I wasn't sure about the time, and I wasn't sure what was going on. Now, we were talking, and um, we, I guess we came about an hour early, and I was talking with people, and I have a rule that I like social media and such, but I try to keep my phone in my pocket when I'm talking to people. And um, watch out for burying yourself in social media when true socializing is right in front of you. Well, I'm talking to these very interesting people that came from all around the country, and I'm, I'm, and I'm wanting to look at my phone because I don't have a watch. And well, I actually have a watch, but it doesn't have a battery, so I just have my phone. And and I'm I'm like, oh my goodness, what time is it? What what's going on? And I'm a little bit nervous. And I'm kind of dancing around, and and I did know what time it was because all of a sudden in the back, this beautiful little orchestra started playing, and I went, oh okay. And then I saw the announcer kind of get in position, and he tested the mic just a little bit. Oh okay. And then I saw the honor guard over here, and they were lining up. And then I saw this one uh, sharp-looking guy kind of bring in Mrs. Tykert and set her down the, in the chair there. I went, okay, okay, it's almost time. It's almost ready. Now, I didn't know what time it was, but I knew it was getting close. And that's the way Jesus is. You don't know exactly when he's coming. You don't know exactly. But when you see the signs of the times coming, you know your redemption draweth nigh. And I see it everywhere. I see it all over. I watch news. My, my kids kind of go crazy with me. I turn on news and I read about that once. Oh, this is happening. And they're like, oh my goodness. And, and, and we're all looking for this. I am looking for the Redeemer and his uh, coming, soon coming to rescue you and I. How do you know when it's getting close? All the signs are coming about. Let me show you uh, the Christmas story. And if you would, just turn over to Luke chapter 1. 
I'm talking about our second point here. We're talking about Jesus, the reason of the season, because he was the promised one. He was preexistent. And because it was the perfect time, it was foretold or prophesied. Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. And we'll read down through 27. And the Bible says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And I want you to just dial into this last verse in verse 37. For with God... Nothing shall be impossible. You see, when you struggle with maybe the virgin birth or the preexistence of Christ or uh, these fulfilled prophecies or uh, all of this, what you're really struggling with is with God. And here God is revealing himself. And, you know, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, it doesn't sort of, it doesn't have a ramp building up and introducing God and proving God. It simply states, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that's the way God uh, begins. And really, that's the way, the way the cosmos began. You have to have time, you have to have matter, and you have to have space. And all three hang upon each other. If you have time but no space, uh, <laughs> you have problems. If you have space but no, if you have space and matter but no time, when would things happen? If you have time and, and matter but no space, where would you put it? It's, it's all contingent upon each other. But all three of those are wrapped up in that first little phrase of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, that's time, God created the heaven, that's space, and the earth, and that's matter. And they're all linked together. 
They're inseparable. That's how it all began. Even before that, though, John chapter 1 reveals this truth. In the beginning was the Word. You see, before the world, there was the Word. That is, God created language before he created time, space, or matter because he spoke and it became. In the beginning was the Word. Now, this Word is very significant, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. It was always there. Verse number 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That is, Christ is preexistent, Christ is prophesied, and Christ is the creator. He is eternal. He is uncreated. He is the self-existing word made flesh. That is, the infinite had become an infant. That is, the little baby of Luke chapter 2 was the great God of Genesis chapter number 1. The, John Phillips, uh, who wrote this great commentary, said this, and I want to quote him. He said, the great mystery of the manger is that God was able to translate deity into humanity without disregarding the deity or distorting the humanity. Because blood is donated by the Father, the Father, the blood that flowed through Jesus' veins was the blood of God. The blood of the baby and the blood of the mother are not of the same blood. The mother may have one uh, blood type and the baby another. Again, that's John Phillips. And that is brought out in this verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts 20 and verse number 28 says this, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. God purchased the church with the blood of Jesus, which was the blood of God. It's an amazing thing. Jesus is the preexistent, prophesied, holy, eternal God. But now let's get really personal. And how does all this apply to us? Well, number three, because he would provide salvation. That's the reason Jesus um, is the focus of the season. Redemption. The end of our uh, key verse here, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and let me just read it again. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them. That's the key word, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And Jesus was perfect. Jesus never spoke a word that needed to be modified. He never spoke a word that needed to be withdrawn or corrected. To his enemies, he said, which of you convinceth me of sin? And Jesus was perfect without flaw. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, For he hath made him, that is, God made Jesus, to be sin for us. God was per- uh, Christ was perfect. But in this exchange, in this sacrifice, God became, Christ became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There was an exchange, and Christ was perfect and holy, never committed any sin, did not even have the the blood from Adam, but God made the Messiah from the woman, and he was perfect. But on that cross, he poured out that pure and perfect divine blood for you and I. Why? He that knew no sin became sin for us, and we're over here. We are flawed. We are immoral. We do things that even we don't agree with that we might become the righteousness of God. And there was that exchange. And by faith, I can come over to the place of Christ because Christ came over to my place. I can be counted as righteous before God because Christ, the Holy One, was counted as sin, a sinner there on that cross. Now, why is this important? Why didn't God just look down at his humanity that he had created and say, this is a mess. What in the world have you guys done? Tell you what, I'm just going to kill the devil. Poof, the devil's dead. And I'm just going to fix all of you. Boom, you are all purified. Why didn't God do that? Well, because God's main character is not love, even though God is love. The main thrust and theme of scripture is that God is holy. God is righteous. He is the righteous judge of all the earth. When God created man, he created him to rule and to reign and have dominion. God spoke that to Adam, rule and reign and have dominion and name these things and, and, and be in charge. Uh, Psalm chapter 8 and verse number 6 verifies this, and thou madest him to have dominion over the works of all thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. And God created Adam to have dominion and to be in charge. However, when he submitted, when he yielded to temptation, he legally lost his right to rule and reign. And we, as Adam's offspring, no matter what shape or shade we are, we are following in the footsteps of Adam. That is, we legally lost our right to dominate, dominion. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 16 says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey. We know this. If you yield yourself to some vice or some um, substance, that can dominate you. Say, well, it won't dominate me. Oh, yes, it will. It will dominate you. You stay away from that because when you yield, you yield your right and you yield your authority, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so now we yield ourselves to the word of God, uh, to the truth of God. And it's not so much what I like or my feelings or my emotions, but we realize that everything is either right or wrong, blessed of God or condemned of God. 
And so when I find myself attracted to those things that God does not allow, I must reject them. In Congress, somebody will be standing up and, and giving a speech or, or de, uh, decre- decreeing this, this element or, or speaking this truth, and somebody on the side, maybe an opponent, will say, will the gentleman yield? And if you yield, you lost the podium. And so you have to say, the gentleman will not yield. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this forward. I'm going to step forward. I am going to continue. And that's what you have to say. I am not going to yield. And this week, as temptation comes alongside and tries to turn you this way and that way, you need to say, I will not yield. We sing that wonderful song, yield not to temptation. Don't yield, but but. Uh, step forward, stride forward in faith and determination to live for God. So Adam yielded to Satan. And when Adam yielded to Satan, he legally lost the power and the authority to be what God intended, king of the earth. Adam was supposed to be there, reigning with Eve. And the devil took it from him. Jesus was tempted by the devil in both Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And when the devil came to him, in verse number 6, the devil says, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee. That is, the devil is offering, offering power to Jesus. Isn't that a strange thing? And the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Something was delivered unto the devil. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. That is, the devil can give power and authority to whoever he will. And that was the temptation before Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4, the Bible speaks of the devil as the god of this world. Look at this. In whom the god of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is the image of God, should shine unto them. That is, the God of this world tries to distract and tries to blind uh, people from believing and from, from seeing. And realize this, when you talk to somebody maybe about truth or scripture or Jesus or God, and they say, you know, I don't see it. You need to realize that many times they don't see it. And it's not human reasoning that can take those blinders away. But it is spiritual intercession. You need to say, God, right there in your heart, you need to say, God, help them to see. Reveal yourself to them. You are God's ambassador on earth, especially to family and friends and, and co-workers, and God wants to see them saved. And it's that salvation is through the gospel. But the devil would wish to keep people in the dark. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 says we wrestle, wrestle not against flesh and blood. That is, we're not fighting, as the crusaders thought, with physical elements and nations and armies and spears and bows and arrows and tanks and planes. No, this is a spiritual warfare. We're wrestling against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Now listen. This week, you're going to be doing your work. You're going to be at the computer. You're going to be driving your car. You're going to be talking to a friend. You're going to be eating lunch. You're going to be doing all these whatever things. And all of a sudden, a thought is going to come in your mind. It's a thought you don't want. It's a condemning thought. It's a corruptive thought. And you're going to think it's your own thought. If you haven't been thinking about it, it's not your thought. It's the devil's thought 
that is described in the Bible as a fiery dart. And it's thrust in upon you. And what you have to do is say, I don't yield to that thought, that doubt, that fear, that lust, that lie. Whatever it is, you must resist and do not yield. You see, Adam lost his position, his crown, if you would, in a legal transition, and therefore Christ had to come and get it back. Christ had to rescue us, redeem us from what Adam legally gave away. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 21 and 22 says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all what? All right, help me out here. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So Adam, that is the first Adam, Adam and Eve, is referred to as the first Adam. But Jesus Christ is referred to as the second Adam. What Adam lost, Christ came to bring back. Adam yielded, Christ did not yield. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14 says this, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And this is the secret. This is what I'm talking about, this redemption, the second Adam, that through death, because Christ died, he could destroy him that had the power of death, specifically, that is, the devil. Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus was the one that uh, was preexistent. He he was promised. He came in that perfect time, and he was prophesied of, and he came in the fullness of time. Uh, He's coming again at at the perfect time, even though I think it's a little bit late. Come on, come a little bit quicker. But Jesus Christ came. When Jesus Christ came in that uh, week before Easter, And Palm Sunday, he came into Jerusalem. It was prophesied. It was foretold of Daniel. And he came in, and uh, everybody was singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he came up to the crest of the Mount of Olives, and he looked upon Jerusalem. And this year, my wife and I got to stand at that very place. And he began to weep, and he began to cry. And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, if you would have known In this your day, this your day, he came at the exact right day, prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever came true. My friends, Jesus Christ came to earth that we might go to heaven. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin that we might be born again. And he became the son of man that we might become the sons of God. Jesus Christ did all of those things. Would you stand with me together on your feet? Jesus Christ is everything that he claims to be and so much more. And he wants to use you. Mm. 
Every day we get to choose who we yield to. And I'm standing here today saying, yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who want evidence, there's more evidence than could be compiled by the greatest minds in the longest lifetimes. For those who need determination, the Lord Jesus Christ supplies motivation and the ability to strengthen yourself and take those steps of faith as his disciple. My friend, I don't know what you need, but this sacred season, realize it's all pointing to Christ. Even the things that are sensational and sensual and the commercial extravaganza, they're still there. In the malls all across the world, selling their little wares, they'll be playing this song, Second Adam from above, reinstate us with thy love. My friend, Jesus is the Son of God the promised Messiah. You are wise to put your trust in him. Lord, we come before you and we ask. We ask that we could see, that we could see beyond the physical limitations of just our emotions, just our eyes. And Lord, we could see into the eternal, that which will last forever. And Lord, help us to see this Christmas season, the Son of God that was preexistent, prophesied, and the purpose he came was to redeem man. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference. Music